podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. This is Anything But Footy. In the week that legendary BBC foreign correspondent John Simpson liked a tweet stating, please can we have our Olympics back? I like that Britain much more. And that is what we're all about. Everything Olympic and Paralympic. And we have a Team GB Olympian on the podcast this week as well. We are delighted to say we'll be hearing from Winter Olympian Amy Fuller very shortly. I'm Michael. And I'm John. And we are on the road today because Michael's been at the London Landmarks Half Marathon in the centre of the capital city. Uh, But we've grabbed some time in a car park before he heads back north. This is how we roll on Anything But Footy. And you can get in touch anytime, as we say, uh, at Anything But F on Twitter. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. And if you do like us, please share, share us on the social media, download it. You can rate us on iTunes as well. That would be really helpful. And there is literally a ticking clock in the building where the British Olympic Association and the British Paralympic Association are based. And we are helping them tick down that clock to Tokyo 2020 and Beijing 2022. John and I were on our travels this week, having some very interesting meetings with the likes of UK Sport, the British Paralympic Association and the British Olympic Association. So I hate to start this week with doping, but that is where we are going to start anything but footy because this week at least 21 athletes from five different sports, that's three winter sports, two summer sports, have been implicated, suspected of having blood doping links to a German doctor at the centre of an ongoing investigation. You probably saw on social media some of the pictures, some of the video footage of those raids recently by Austrian and German police. And this investigation has been prompted by an Austrian cross-country skier who was convicted of doping offences after the Winter Olympics in Sochi in 2014. Our own Adam Peaty has some strong opinions on this as well. Yeah, the Olympic and world record-holding swimmer has said, he tweeted this week, make them give and pay anything they've won back to the athletes who've lost out due to them cheating. Now, we're six editions and episodes into anything but footy, Michael. We haven't really done that much about drugs. It's something we get asked all the time. Is everyone on it? Are they all on drugs? The answer is obviously no, but unfortunately and ultimately... And like in all walks of life, some people will always try and bend and frankly break the rules. So this may be the shortest conversation we ever have on a topic, but what would you do with them? Well, I have to say I agree with Adam Peaty, and the reason I think he has come to that conclusion is that he and his teammates have potentially uh, been victims to this. Sun Yang is the swimmer that uh, has been in the news this week. He is the one that Adam Peaty has been reacting to because a FINA doping panel have issued just a warning to him after he left the control room without permission. He may also have been involved, we don't know, obviously, the full story here in the smashing of one of his blood containers. And as I said, FINA have, have basically let him off with a slap on the wrist. This is very much against the rules. If you go into that environment, the doping control rooms, you have to, of course, abide by the rules. That is how they then get the samples, which they then hold and test, and they can test again in the future. Now, Yang says he acted as he didn't believe the proper protocols were being used. He said the doctor was not qualified, and that is the reason he did what he did. That said, he seems to me to have taken the umbrage he's felt and gone way above anything that he should have And that is what Adam Peaty has been so annoyed with this week. Interestingly, he signed up, of course, to that new international swim series. Mm. No swimmers who have served drugs bans uh, are allowed in that. So it's one strike and you're out. And I am thinking, I'm getting to that viewpoint now, that one strike and you're out might be the way forward. 
because of course Team GB, you know, the British Olympic Association used to have the rule if you if you're found guilty, you are banned for life, and that was obviously overturned. Um, somewhat controversially, and they had to abide by that. And, you know, you have two-year bans, you have three-year bans, some you have four. T- is there a kind of, should it actually be that you have one chance? And, as you say, if you're then banned, you never compete again. Or do you get one shot, one strike, and then, oh, well, okay, if it happens again, you're then definitely out. It's it's because it's that whole restriction of trade um, kind of argument, isn't it? If you are, uh, ultimately, if you're an athlete and you're a swimmer, um, you are being prevented from doing what you should be doing um, if you're banned for life. But James Guy was denied a world title in 2015 and an Olympic medal in 2016 by Sun Yang. How different James Guy's life might be, might still be, had he been a world champion, had he won that Olympic medal in 2016. You look at the example of someone like Justin Gatlin, of course. He was very much the bad boy, wasn't he, of the the London World Athletics Championships. Now, when you really delve into his story, there are inconsistencies as to why he's perhaps failed those two drugs tests. But you fail two drugs tests, then you've got to look at the 60,000 people in the stadium every morning and every evening and think, can I trust what I'm seeing? And that, for me, is the key word, trust do I trust what I'm seeing at the Olympic Games, Commonwealth Games, Paralympics? Mm. And of course, they booed him famously in 2017, didn't they? When he when he had his name not, uh, mentioned, uh, and obviously we were talking about the the, the 21 athletes uh, who have been kind of uh, not named, and I suppose that's that's the slight issue. So the Munich State Prosecutor said that there are three figure cases of blood being taken out and then being reintroduced worldwide, which is a horrible thought when you think about it. But he says in Germany, Austria, Italy, Sweden, Finland, Estonia, Croatia. Slovenia and Hawaii. Now, known details of the names of the athletes or their specific sports were made available, and that's what makes it really hard because then everyone's at suspicion. Yeah, it's this innocent until proven guilty thing, I guess, and that's not just unique to sport, that's unique to a lot of things. You can get tainted, can't you, as, a, as an athlete? And, you know, when the leaks came out, the Russian leaks came out, there was talks about the people that were taking the exemptions and things like that. They then get tainted with this idea that despite the fact that someone like Laura Waitman, for example, who's represented Great Britain at the Olympics, has suffered from asthma her whole life and takes asthma medication, when those exemption breaks mm. come out, the exemption leaks come out, I should say, someone like Laura Waitman and others that take this medication because they have to and it puts them on a level playing field, it then puts them under the finger of suspicion and athletes like Laura Waitman shouldn't be under the finger of suspicion. On the record, I'm going to say, just ban them. Yeah. If, you, if you're found guilty once, you're, sorry, you had your chance. I mean, it's, it's not as though you don't know what's going to happen to you. And there's a process. You can't just fail a drugs test and they go, right, that's it, you're done. It's a process, a legal process then that takes place. There's appeals, subsequent appeals. You could take it to the Court of Arbitration of Sport if you so wanted. But I think if you get to that level and you've still failed the drugs test, I'm with you. Don't compete at a world elite Olympic level. I just don't understand how anyone ever defends it. But uh, that's just my, my humble opinion. But I'd, I'd always really love to be able to think the majority of athletes are clean. That's that's what I that's why that's why we do this podcast. I love to think that there's trust in everything we watch, and you know, whilst we talk about some controversy, if you like, in the world of sport, we'll move it on to cycling. And mm. Team Sky have been supremely successful. 
but supremely controversial, of course. And we know uh, that there is there is an issue going on at the moment. There is a, an adjournment of the tribunal of their doctor, Richard Freeman, who's at the centre of much of this controversy at the moment. But they now have their opportunity, I guess, from a PR point of view, to wipe the slate clean because Team Sky will be no more. And at the Tour de Yorkshire, a new dawn, Team Ineos, will be launched. It's Sir Jim Ratcliffe. His chemical company will be the new sponsor of the team who have won eight grand tours. But Dave Brailsford will still run the show. You might know the name Ineos because they also sponsored Sir Ben Ainsley's America's Cup team. But is this a chance for Team Sky, Team Ineos as it now is, with the six-day series taking place in Manchester at the Velodrome at the moment as well? Is this a chance for them to kind of reset and relaunch? I think I think it is. Um, but I think what's interesting is that this is probably... And, and look, you always get... Uh, when you have sponsors, you always get controversy, which we'll probably talk about in a moment. But I do wonder whether Ineos is... Is is probably the, you know, is 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 the right one to try and have a a, a a new slate clean, if you know what I mean. And uh, you know, it's owned by Britain's richest man, Sir Jim Ratcliffe, um, and he's going to bring in, you know, probably equal, maybe even in, increase the thirty-five million pound budget that Sky had. Um, and people are beginning to say, is Team Ineos the new Man City, the new Paris Saint-Germain or PSG. We don't talk about football. <laughs> we're, we're, we're using it as an example. But I think, you know, does that put people off? It will put the purists off. It will put the purists off. But it doesn't put anybody else off. But it won't put the people off that maybe will watch cycling three or four times a year. They'll watch Garrett Thomas. They'll watch Bradley Wiggins. They'll perhaps watch Chris Froome coming down the Champs-Élysées. And that will be it for their cycling. And they'll see these Britons, you know, in their yellow jerseys coming home, winning in front of the Eiffel Tower or winning on the Giro or winning on the Velta or whatever. And for those three or four days, I don't think they, and they're not the purists, they're the occasionalists, I don't think they will be too bothered where the money's come from in the background. So there's that part of it, as are they the, the new Man City, the PSG? And then, of course, you know, as it was announced that Team Ineos would start at the Tour de Yorkshire, Protests. People have already come out saying, right, well, we're going to protest about this. Certainly the anti-fracking uh, protesters have said that they are going to uh, stage protests during this year's race. And sponsorship has always been an issue. Controversial with 2012. I remember covering that um, a lot in the build-up to those Olympics uh, in London in, in the summer of 2012. BP, Dow Chemical, uh, you know, everybody had an opinion on whether those companies should be sponsoring sport. And we have it with, again, with football clubs, with betting sponsors. Uh, you know, and you look at the snooker, every event is basically a betting company. Now, there are some football clubs, and Norwich being one of them, uh, which is obviously my team, you know, the kids' shirts don't have the betting sponsor on because obviously the club feels um, that it shouldn't have that for children. So then arguably, if it shouldn't have it for children, should the club be taking the money in the first place? So, so many uh, con controversy will come up because of the sponsor and because of the name uh, Ineos. But I suppose that adds to the question from a sporting point of view, do we need the, uh, do we have to have ethics in a sport, uh, you know, in a sporting world? Well, arguably, yes. But it makes it then very difficult if you're barring everybody. And we all remember growing up with the Benson and Hedges uh, and, and, and the Embassy World Darts and all that. And, and sport has continued with the ban of tobacco. And I don't think anyone disagrees that banning tobacco was a, was a bad thing. But, you know, w which sponsors will be left? And if sport does need sponsors to keep going, 
that's where the issue becomes an issue. I think you could probably find, if you dug deep enough, a focus group, a pressure group that would probably be upset with pretty much everybody sponsoring anything. Um, I grew up watching Embassy World Snooker for 16, 17 days at the Crucible in Sheffield, but I never smoked a cigarette. So I don't think there's a direct link there. You're a there. bright lad, though. <laughs> I don't think there's a link there. Um, specifically, the anti-fracking protests around the Tour de Yorkshire will be interesting. The Tour de Yorkshire will be interesting this year because, of course, they've lost the chief executive. The chief executive of Welcome to Yorkshire, Sir Gary Verity. Well, the controversy continues, doesn't has, it? Has had to step down this week. And he's not just stepped down because he's done what he said he was going to do, which is deliver the Tour de France, the Grand Depart, uh, to Yorkshire and Leeds uh, in 2014. And then, obviously, subsequent editions of the spin-off, the Tour de Yorkshire. He's stepping down following concerns relating towards his... His behaviour towards staff and in his uh, relation to his expenses as well. Now, the statement says it's not directly related. And what I would say as well is the Tour de Yorkshire is actually organised by the people, AOS, that organised the Tour de France. So whilst he's very much a central figurehead to it and the person, if you like, that was the catalyst to start it all, and he's there with his mustard trousers on the starting line waving out the top of the open-top car at the start, actually the event, I think, will carry on because essentially... It is a spin-off of the Tour de France, but more controversy. Will the thousands, the hundreds of thousands of people come out again and support it when it comes through their town, village in Yorkshire this year? I mean, he, he is the man behind making Yorkshire the capital of cycling in the UK. You know, it used to be Cambridge. Everyone always said, you know, that's where everyone got on their bike. But now we know that what the Yorkshire is the place. He's, as you say, fronted the, the tourism board, Welcome to Yorkshire, for, for, for 10 years. He's developed this this annual race, which is now in its fifth edition this summer. He brought the Tour de France famously to Leeds and the hills of Yorkshire in 2014. And then we've got the World Road Race Championships that we keep talking about as well uh, coming to Yorkshire later this year. I mean, you you covered this event every, every year. Uh, Award-winning, I uh, should point uh, out. <laughs> he, uh, he is an award <laughs> The event is, and his coverage of it is, is, is award-winning. And it's, it's just a shame that it's, again, slightly tarnished. If I can give the case for the defence and the prosecution here, all in one go, if you like. Um, for the defence, it has been a fantastic event. It's been commercially very successful. It's brought a lot of investment into Yorkshire. It's brought cycling into loads and loads of new audiences. And they do some great things as part of the Tour de Yorkshire, things like the bike libraries and things like that, which are great. Um, and also, I think with the Tour de Yorkshire as well, as you say, it really has put put cycling on the map in this country. It's been a real focus for the women as well. They've now got two days on the tour. I think that's very, very important. Women's road racing cycling is very much the correlation. And I think Yorkshire has, has really sort of pushed the boat out there and done a great job. Helped, of course, by having these Lizzie Armitstead uh, in Yorkshire, of course, and, and willing to take part. Now, I've known Gary Verity since since they were bidding for the Grand Depart. He was very open, very media friendly um, at the start. That did change over time. I found him a, a more prickly character at times as... as Maybe it, the pressure mounted. Yeah, as the pressure mounted, as the, the success got better, he, he very much, I think, enjoyed being the centre of attention, as I said, in those those lead cars, waving out the, the sunroofs, and actually became a, a kind of harder figure to, to press down, certainly in, in media terms. I know media's not the be-all and end-all, but I can only speak from, from what I know. Um, and as I said, in the early days, when he needed the support of the media, he needed local media to back the campaign to bring the Tour de France, as it was, to Yorkshire, you know, he was very open, very friendly. 
that over the years eroded a little bit um and i just think it, it's a real shame for lots of very good people that i know that work at welcome to yorkshire and as obviously as i said work as part of the tour de france team that bring a, a really good event to these shores every year and it's it's a shame that this year i think whatever happens it will still be a little bit tarnished by what exactly has gone on there and we don't know exactly what's going on there, but there's obviously issues around staff and issues around expenses, which he's had to repay. Yeah, and uh, yeah, just to say that, a statement from Welcome to Yorkshire is that Verity is paying back um, the money owed on that. But you're right, Michael, a huge blow um, for you know the, the, the highest profile ed- edition of this event, the Tour de Yorkshire, its fifth one, as I say, um, with Team Ineos there, and then this, and then this happening with Sir Gary Verity as well. I mean, the media coverage for the uh, for the Tour de Yorkshire is going to be uh, uh, an impressive one this year for, for, for so many reasons. And we'll keep an eye on it and be covering it for anything but footy. Yeah, six-day series cycling taking place, as I said, at the moment in Manchester. We've also had this weekend the Gymnastics World Cup taking place in Birmingham. Uh, the men's event was live on BBC Television on Saturday afternoon. The, the women, I'm afraid, were hidden behind the red button on Saturday night. Just some delayed highlights. And then, of course, it was competing with this other event which Simone Biles and Max Whitlock were taking part in. So you had the Gymnastics World Cup with GB's Joe Fraser and Jamie Lewis, who finished fourth and ninth, respectively, up against Max Whitlock and Simone Biles. Now, for me, Simone Biles is up there with the Williams sisters as, you know, one of the very, very best sports people that we've produced, you know, maybe in certainly in the 21st century and, and possibly before that, as I said, up there with the Williams sisters, Martina Navratilova, Billie Jean King, people like that. She is at that level as far as I'm concerned. And then you've got Max Whitlock, double Olympic gold medalist, huge favourite. They're competing in London. And then you've got this gym, Gymnastics World Cup event happening at the same time in Birmingham. I mean, who's behind the scheduling of that? Now, I know that International Weekend, when it comes along, you know, people are desperate for some sport to watch because, you know, there's no Premier League, there's no Championship. People are, are desperate to watch a bit of live sport. But it does seem slightly weird to have two big gymnastic events. The World Cup, which was obviously, you know, part of a, of a, of a, of a, of a number around the country and around the world uh, taking place. And then this, as you say, this Superstars event at the O2. It's a shabby treatment, I think, for a sport, gymnastics, that from a British point of view, won seven medals in Rio now that is the same as athletics and look how much coverage athletics gets on terrestrial TV it's more than rowing more than swimming a bit less than cycling and the key thing I think about that seven medals same as athletics what was the size of the team the athletics team that went to Rio 70 odd 70 odd do you know how many athletes went team of 10 in artistic three in trampoline so you've got 13 converting that into seven medals that's well 50% hit rate virtually isn't it over a 50% hit rate, fantastic conversion rate from athletes that went, fantastic return on investment. And as I said, we've been in to see UK Sport, who are the body that invests this money. You know, and I just think I feel really sorry for British Gymnastics that they've had to come up against this other event, which had arguably, certainly from a British point of view and a world point of view, let's be honest, a little bit more stardust. Uh, and Becky Downey, you mentioned obviously Joe Fraser and uh, Jamie Lewis, where they placed Becky Downey. Unfortunately, after a good start, obviously on her comeback from injury, she's had two ankle options winning the Euro title a couple of years ago. Uh, won the British Championships all round uh, as well recently, which we talked about in a previous episode of Anything But Footy. But she fell twice on the bars, uh, including fell fully flat onto her stomach, which looked really, really painful. Um, so 
so she slipped from an early second position uh, to finish seventh after all and admitted afterwards I definitely could have put in a better performance it was a heavy week for me though after the British last weekend and that's the point you know and they said that Max Whitlock was resting uh, and obviously competing at these O2s as a, a kind of an exhibition type thing but you do need to be able to rest you know at this level of sport uh, and American Simone Biles also saying that uh, Tokyo will be her her last uh, she of course won four golds at Rio and became the first woman to win the four world championship all-round titles in 2018 she will be 24 years of age couple when of, she retires a couple of bits of any other business uh, before we hear from our winter olympian amy fuller talking of falling flat on your face world figure skating and british figure skating the world championships have been taking place again behind the red button overnight in japan from 18 million audiences for bolero and torval and dean and huge audiences for things like dancing on ice just seriously no British interest in this event. There's ice rinks in town, cities right across the country. Christmas, the ice rinks come out, and yet you've got no GB figure skaters registering anywhere near the world. And yet, in winter sport, you've got Great Britain, who are looking to be a top-five snow nation within a couple of Olympic cycles. We don't have any snow and mountains. We've got loads of ice rinks, but it seems to me that ice skating is very much off the agenda. Now, all eyes have been on London this weekend, whether on a march or running half a marathon. Marathon for me, <laughs> not the marathon. <laughs> Thousands of people taking part and supporting as well. And it was the London Landmarks half marathon that you uh, went to and saw uh, in action close up. And it looked pretty impressive stuff. Like all these things, the blue skies, the sunshine really helps. London is just a fantastic canvas for a sporting event when the sun shines. And we've seen it at London 2012. We see it annually at the London Marathon, the boat race. All of these annual events really just show off the capital city to be such a great venue. And the London Landmarks Half Marathon, this is year two. I think it's well on its way to becoming another one of those fixtures of the the spring season. I think a lot of people can manage a half marathon where the London Marathon is probably beyond them. So you had sort of 13,000 taking part today. Estimates 50 to 100,000 on the streets. Yeah, there's bands, music, DJs lining the entire route as well. A bunch of celebrities as well. Most of them I didn't recognise. From <laughs> they e- recognise you though? E- no, X on the <laughs> beach, uh, Made in Chelsea, Towie. You name that reality TV show, they were there uh, with their uh, white teeth and their their fake tans. There were a couple of other sort of more genuine celebrities there as well, if you like. Cheryl Baker, former Eurovision winner, saw her. She was lovely as well. Amanda Holden taking part. But, you know, aside from that, I do think it's all about the 13,000 getting themselves out on a Sunday morning and dragging their backside around 13.1 miles. And that, for me, in this era where we're selling off playing fields and we've got childhood obesity and obesity causing massive issues for the NHS, that, for me, is what's inspiring. Yeah, an Olympian snowboarder, Amy Fuller, who represented... uh Team GB at Sochi and Pyeongchang uh, as well. Michael caught up with her at the finish line and frankly she was full of the joys of spring. London is the best city in the world. Honestly, that didn't even feel like work. The, the euphoria running throughout, through the London streets was just absolutely unreal. Like One of the best experiences I've ever had. It's warm, it's not too hot, absolutely perfect and just the vibe. So many charities out here supporting raising money and yeah, couldn't be better. Perfect training for the London Marathon. <laughs> now, you're an Olympian, so clearly you're obviously pretty fit, but how is this different from what you would normally be doing? Oh, this is so different. Um, I come from a fast-twitch, explosive power sport, which is snowboarding. Um, definitely not an endurance sport, and it's been 
it's just been really fun and different to mix up my training and uh, just challenge my body in a different way and I've absolutely loved it. Not saying I'm going to be a marathon runner but um, thoroughly enjoying uh, the warmer temperatures and uh, enjoying the challenge of pushing my body in a different way and, and for fun, not no pressure, you know, and raising money for cancer research, running with my mum, it's just been a phenomenal experience. I was going to ask you why you were here, why you're doing it, the charity obviously the main reason. Uh, yeah, the charity the main reason and then obviously coming from a winter sport, I can never run through the winter because it's too much pressure on my feet. From snowboarding I've suffered with plantar fasciitis. Um, post Olympics, me and my mum always discussed the potential of doing a marathon together um, and then when Tag Her presented us the opportunity to join their team for the London Marathon me and my mum talked about it and it was an opportunity not to be missed so yeah I've thoroughly enjoyed mixing up my training it's just different and um, we're raising money for Cancer Research UK we lost my granddad to prostate cancer six years ago so he missing me in the first Olympics and then last year my nan was diagnosed with breast cancer and she's managed to make it to both Olympics, seen me there, and she's made a fantastic recovery. So, yeah, we're just out here fighting, raising money, and um, just enjoy, enjoying every moment of the atmosphere that London has to offer. It really is spectacular. So Tokyo 2020 on the roads with Mo Farah must be on your target list next then. Oh, yeah, 100%. That's, that's what I'm thinking. I'm like, right. No, no, no. Definitely, definitely not. Going to um, stay in the mountains and the snow. I think I'm going to stick to the snow, but I'd like to get out to Tokyo. Obviously, we've got skateboarding and surfing being introduced. Those sports are going through a similar transition phase that snowboarding's gone through. Seeing it go from a free action sport into an Olympic sport. So I, can, I hope I can get out there and... Um, help those guys go through that process that I've gone through. Um, I've also joined the British Olympic Association um, Athletes Commission. Um, so, yeah, I'm looking to support those guys heading to the Summer Games. And who knows? Let's see what uh, 2022 has in store for me. But for now, I'm enjoying the warmer temperatures. Thanks very much for your time. Thank you. Well, it sounds like she's not quite sure what she's going to do in 2022, but she sounds like she'll be playing a key role for Tokyo 2020, maybe I, a bit of mentoring. I think that's so important. We're talking so much, aren't we, about welfare of athletes at the minute. Um, there's the new uh, athlete group that's been put together, of course, that we've spoken about before, which I think can be helpful. And then there are the commissions, which is what Amy Fuller was telling us about earlier on, uh, about being part of that BOA Athlete Commission. Because, you know, when you've got, and we've already spoken about the impact of sponsors, but when you've got bodies like UK Sport distributing money, they need to be distributing it in the right way and making sure that the athletes that are getting that money and receipt of that money are using it in the right way as well. And I think welfare, and we're seeing it in reality TV very much at the moment. And my fear is that you you build somebody up in a sporting environment, and unless you're Nick Skelton, it's a pretty short career for you. You know, for someone like Amy Fuller on a snowboard, she ain't going to be at the Olympics when she's nearly 60. Mm. So she has two, maybe three Olympic cycles, and all the razzle-dazzle and all the attention that comes with that what happens next? What happens when Amy Fuller can no longer be a snowboarder? So to hear her saying, um, and I've met her and interviewed her a few times, and she seems bright and level-headed, and she's obviously got a, got a brain switched on, and, and she's already planning for her future. But to hear her say that she wants to go and, and help those that are maybe going to Tokyo in these new disciplines like skateboarding, surfing, people that have never been in that, that bubble, that goldfish bowl before, uh, for me, I, I think I would really welcome that, and I would hope 
that organising committees from bid cities and you know host nations look to their their past and their their former athletes to really help whereas where welfare is concerned mm. and and listen to michael's comments to sky brown and the family uh, the youngster the 10 year old who will be uh, uh, hopefully representing team gb uh, at tokyo 2020 because i think that that shows absolutely now you know the other thing we're here for anything but footy is to celebrate the big events that we put on in this country and we do do it so well so uh, michael also caught up with organizer uh, leah files about the london landmarks half marathon uh, and everyone taking part put on a brilliant show i don't think it could have gone better um the atmosphere is absolutely incredible down here today the sun is shining there's lots of smiling faces um we're seeing feedback on facebook the best running event ever i'm just i'm just so happy um, that all the hard work from the team has paid off and everyone seems to be having a great time and in this time where we hear a lot about obesity we hear a lot about selling off school playing fields for example it must be so heartening to see 13,000 people in the centre of London taking on 13.1 miles. Absolutely. Um, as well as celebrating um, London's history and culture, the London Landmarks Half Marathon is all about getting people fit and healthy. And the good thing about a half marathon is you have to train for it. You can't just run a half marathon. Um, and what we find from the event, found from the event last year is that after people had done the half marathon, it encouraged them to stay fit and healthy after um, and to go on and run other distances after. So, yeah, it's been, it's been brilliant to see that. And if people want to join Jenny Faulkner, Amanda Holden, Cheryl Baker, Michelle Heat, and I could go on and get involved in this, been inspired to take part in this next year, what should they do? Uh, they can pre-register now for the London uh, for LLHM 2020. The link is www.llhm.co.uk/pre-register. Uh, by pre-registering their details, we'll send them information um, when entry opens into next year's event. So, yeah, it's all about getting people fit. And these things happen in every city around the country every weekend. And it really is, if you're interested, really is worth getting involved. Yeah, couch to 5K, park run, your local 10K, half marathon, Great North Run, whatever it is, Great South Run. Just just get involved. They are fantastic events. A couple of final little bits of any other business. Boxing might be saved as far as being an Olympic Phew. sport is concerned. Um, their president, the president of the Amateur International Boxing Association, says he's standing down. He could return if cleared of wrongdoing, but this might just allow boxing a, a clearer route into the next Olympics. The IOC had said they were going to have boxing in the Games. They might just have held it outside the, uh, the AIBA's jurisdiction. But it looks, and, and boxing as we know is... is a good sport for British boxers and Team GB, both men and women. It looks as though boxing will, will take its place on the programme. And talking of the programme for Tokyo 2020, robots and torches. <laughs> yeah, the robots are coming. Apparently they're going to be helping spectators and volunteers. Um, uh, you know, we've seen them kind of carrying the throwing, um, the javelins back and other throwing uh, objects back in the athletics. But no, and we've seen uh, them dancing at the uh, Rio opening ceremony as well, robots. But they're going to be helping carry food and drink for people in wheelchairs and provide information the Tokyo 2020 robot project it's called and there's also power assisted suits which be used at venues to help carry things and throw out the rubbish now that's the kind of thing that I think would be really helpful for just general life and I think they maybe they will we'll see that quite a lot in Tokyo and the torch has been unveiled as well this week I remember in the build-up to London 2012 and Rio how exciting these landmarks were and the torch has been unveiled it's another exciting step on the path to Tokyo 2020 where 
as we said there's literally a ticking clock in the reception area where the boa and the bpa are based and preparing if you want to get in touch with us uh, on twitter anything but f we're on facebook youtube instagram you can find us on itunes spotify or your usual podcast platform tell your friends like it share it and rate us well sports social podcast network